Yeah, tomorrow marks one year since Russia invaded Ukraine, triggering the biggest refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. A third of Ukraine's population have been uprooted from their homes. The United Nations head, Antonio Guterres, has condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine as an affront to the world's collective conscience. At a meeting of the General Assembly, nearly one year on, it's, uh, I think, a sentiment that's shared widely around the world. It is a violation of the United Nations Charter and international law. It is having dramatic humanitarian and human rights consequences, and the impact is being felt far beyond Ukraine. As I said from day one, Russia's attack on Ukraine challenges the cornerstone principles and values of our multilateral system. The position of the United Nations is unequivocal. We are committed to the sovereignty, independence, unity, and territorial integrity of Ukraine within its internationally recognized borders. Antonio Guterres, the UN chief there. I mean, early this week, US President Joe Biden said that the Russian President Vladimir Putin has made a, quote, big mistake by suspending the last remaining nuclear arms treaty with the US. Although it is fair to point out that... uh, Mr. Putin said that the Russians would not be involved in any first nuclear strike. Outside of the politics, of course, the whole thing is horrific, as we know. The situation in Ukraine is also a massive humanitarian disaster. Joining us is Catherine Green, who's the Ukraine Crisis Response Director for World Vision, joining us live from Kiev. Uh, Catherine, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Hi, Philip. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you with us too. What's your immediate concern where you are in terms of humanitarian needs? Yeah, I was just listening to some of the intro that you were playing and, um, you know, for me, uh, all of this impacts civilians the most and, and, and children and the most vulnerable people in communities. They're the ones who lose ultimately in this war and in any war. Um, I mean, I just I think it's unbelievable the scale of, of the humanitarian need. There's more than 17 million people in Ukraine that have gone from not needing humanitarian aid um, a year and one day ago to now needing humanitarian aid. That's like two-thirds of the Australian population. It's it's actually mind-blowing, the scale of need. Um, and, of course, two-thirds of children in Ukraine have been displaced. Um, and so, for me, children need to be the priority in this and every conflict. Mm. It's still winter there, of course, isn't it? February. It's. Yeah. It's. I mean, I know the winter's been, they say, mild, but hey, I'm even a mild winter's pretty horrific if you've not got no shelter or food <laughs> or heating. What? 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 Did, yeah, what, are, what? Tell us about that. Um, look, I'm from Perth, so this has not felt like a mild winter to me, and I'm right. sure that it doesn't feel like a mild winter to people who have had their homes destroyed, um, who are still living in collective centres. Um, we know that a lot of people, um, you know, have been displaced and are, mo- and are mo- displaced time after time and are going to um, disused uh, educational facilities or damaged educational facilities that are being used as collective centres. Um, or are continuing to live in their damaged homes. Um, so for sure the the winter, um, you know, today it's minus 12. Um, that is a mild winter, but it still would be extremely um, cold, especially when you think about um, the continual damage that has been done to heating and water systems by almost um, weekly missile strikes 
uh, since October 10th. So, you know, damaged buildings coupled with people, you know, fleeing without, um, you know, all of their their necessary clothing, coupled with damage to to water and heating um, infrastructure, it really does make mm. for a pretty grim um, experience for people. Yeah, give, give us some sense of this because I'm glad you raised this issue of displacement because the scale of the displacement from and within Ukraine is extraordinary. I believe there's been something like 15 and a half million border crossings, for example, as people mm. trying to get out and also... Internally, more than six and a half million people have been displaced. You think of the scale of that. Where on earth are people going? Yeah, the scale is actually hard to get your head around. Like you say, there's about six million people internally displaced within Ukraine. Um, In the beginning, obviously, we saw a huge flood of people across the borders, but as things, um, uh, I guess, settled, not that they have really settled, but people did start to come back into the country. Um, People wanted to be closer to family. Um, They wanted to just come home. Um, So we have seen a lot of pendular movement of people sort of leaving and then coming back into Ukraine. But there's still about 8 million um, refugees living around um, Europe. So in neighbouring countries, Poland hosts a lot of um, refugees, Romania, Moldova and Georgia, where World Vision also has humanitarian responses. Um, but a large a large number of people are, in, in, are displaced internally within Ukraine. And what we're seeing now is that um, a lot of people might go back to, you know, their, their original home while it's, um, while it's safe. And then as fighting flares up, they might move to a neighbouring community um, and people are kind of moving within. Um, so there's a lot of movement still happening um, as the front line moves and as, as fighting continues. Yeah, it's just, um, it, is, it is, as you say, almost impossible to get your head around it. We've, we've seen a lot of reports of, of attacks by Russian missiles on essential services uh, power stations, et cetera, power transmission networks. I mean, give us a sense of, of, of what's going on on the ground for that. I mean, to most, you can't live in Ukraine during winter without heating uh, or without power. What are people doing? Yeah, well, the um, the generator business is booming, yeah. uh, I would have to say. Um, there has been a huge number of attacks on um Thermal power plants, um, electricity power plants, um, impacting water power plant, uh, water water plants. So, yeah, there's been um, a huge number of scheduled and emergency blackouts across all the cities, uh, including in Kiev. So there's load shedding um, and scheduled outages that people are just working around, as is the sort of resilience of of, of people in crisis. It seems. Um, People are, are going to some of the collective heating centres that the government has, has set up. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, you know, making sure that they have, um, you know, places to charge, places to keep warm. Um, you know, <laughs> the street lights are out. Um, restaurants are candle lit. Um, you know, people are people are just remarkable creatures, and they just adapt. That doesn't mean that they're thriving or that children are able to attend school and, and continue with their learning in a meaningful way. Um, but, um, yeah, if you consider that there have been nationwide um, 
strikes of, of all of this infrastructure. Um, it's quite remarkable to see uh, how resilient um, the cities and the people that make up those cities and towns are. Yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, people in apartment buildings and so on, electricity makes them work. I mean, there are lift, there are lifts, for example, all of which depend on electricity. Uh, absolutely, how, absolutely. How is that kind of life going on without with 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 power shortages? I mean, it is just going on. Um, my staff come to work in the morning and they tell me triumphantly, you know, of of uh, counting the 500 steps that they had to go up and down in their house of, really? you know, of how they've made adapt- adaptations and, you know, the new recipes that they've cooked on their little camp stove. Um, this is how people are living now. And and those are the people that are um, fortunate enough to still be able to continue to, to go to work. And, um, you know, you, this is the people that are living in undamaged apartment buildings. Um, mm. So, you know, the, impact is just tenfold for those people that are displaced and living in the collective centres, for children that have been displaced um, and not able to attend school and are, and are maybe living in damaged houses or, or collective centres. Hmm. I'm talking with Catherine Green, uh, who is an Australian, as you would have gathered from her accent, from Perth, uh, who's the <laughs> Ukraine Crisis Response Director for World Vision in, uh, in Kiev, speaking to us live from Kiev now. You say the most vulnerable people, and I, I, I would get this, are children in Ukraine because they're, they're facing something of a mental health time bomb. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the assessments that we did in the very beginning of the response, the number one um, issue that, that parents and caregivers noted was the mental health of their children. And that was just reconfirmed when we did a recent um, assessment, a further assessment in the east, so in the areas um, closest to the front line in Kherson, Kharkiv and Dnipro. Um, some of the report coming back from parents and caregivers about um, uh, significant um, mental health um, issues being displayed by their children and children themselves reporting um, that they were uh, using drugs and alcohol to cope with some of the challenges that they were facing, not having access to quality education. Only 25% of children that we surveyed said they're going to school and have quality education because school is still offline after three years, two years for COVID, and now their, their schools have been either damaged or they can't at- attend schools because of, um, of fighting. Um, so that all starts to impact children. And I think one of the things that I, I heard um, a parent say um, was really stuck with me. They were saying, you know, in the beginning, um, I was so worried for my child because, you know, every time there was an air alarm, every time they heard um, an explosion, they, they were scared, they were frightened. But now I'm even more worried because every time there's an air alarm, they don't even flinch. They're used to it. They can tell what type of artillery. Yeah. Have we lost Catherine? Yeah, we might have to um, We might have to say goodbye, I think, because uh, they were getting, having some problems with that line. Catherine Green there was with us, uh, Ukraine Crisis Response Director for World Vision. And uh, sorry, sadly, but sorry about that. That, that line was live from Kiev and, and there are some, clearly some issues. Uh, which is why it's abruptly terminated on us. Apologies for that, but uh, that is in the situation that she described, I suppose you would think, uh, par for the course as well. So there you have it, an Australian's eyewitness 
and on the ground reaction to what life is like in Kiev. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.